This is America on the Road, winner of the International Automotive Media Conference Gold Medal Award for Radio and now in its 27th year on the air. Thanks for being with us as we bring you the latest automotive information from around the world. If you drive a big SUV or tow a boat, you might find your next vehicle more expensive because of some revised federal regulations. We'll tell you all about that coming up. And General Motors and Honda have joined together to build electric cars. We'll tell you all about that, too. Major, major news there. America on the Road is brought to you by Mercury Insurance and DrivingToday.com. If you're looking to save some money, you should switch to Mercury for your auto and home insurance. Californians save an average of $670 with Mercury. So imagine how much you could save. Get a quote today at MercuryInsurance.com. Hi, I'm Jack D. Rad. With me is guest host Matt DiLorenzo. Matt has been with us before. He's a fellow North American Car of the Year juror, an industry veteran, a great guy. Matt, welcome back. Thanks for being with us. Thanks for uh, having me on, Jack. It's great to be here. Why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself, Matt, because you have a a fabled history. (laughs) Well, I was just looking back, and this May will mark my 45th year writing about cars. I... um, actually started writing about fleet cars, automotive fleet. And then I I went to Automotive News. And then uh, I had a great opportunity to um, write in the enthusiast press. I worked for Auto Week and and, uh, was editor at Road & Track magazine. And then my career kind of came back full circle. And I worked with you at Kelly Blue Book and started writing about the industry again and car buying. So it's been been, um, a great trip. And it's not over yet. I mean, I, I really enjoy what's going on in the industry right now. It couldn't be more exciting. And I hope I can continue to do this for the foreseeable future. Yeah, it was wonderful to work with you. We had known each other for at least 20 years when we actually started to work together. And it was yeah. terrific for me. And I think we worked together for the better part of 10 years at Kelly Blue Book. Mm-hmm. And now we've both left Kelly Blue Book and uh, are doing the radio show and doing other things, doing some freelance writing for various sites and this and that. So uh, thanks so much for being on the show. We really do appreciate it. And uh, we'll have some fun with this. In the road test segment, uh, Matt, what vehicle will you be talking about this week? I uh, drove the Kia EV6, which is their new sort of compact, they call it an SUV electric vehicle. It's uh, cutting edge technology um, on the edge of affordability. It's, it's quite a nice piece. Yeah, absolutely. Well, there's a little hint as to what you're going to be talking about. In a later segment, I got the chance to drive the 2022 Dodge Durango RT, kind of the antithesis of (laughs) the Kia EV6. We'll tell you much more when we come back. So with Matt DiLorenzo, this is Jack Red with you. And thanks so much for being with us right here on America on the Road. Welcome back to America on the Road with guest host Matt you. Uh, Chris T. can't be with us this week, so Matt is subbing for him, and we're happy to have him with us. The industry veteran really knows his stuff about cars, so always glad to talk to Matt about this and many other things, baseball among them. Uh, Big news from General Motors and Honda this week, uh, a major, major initiative uh, about EVs. (laughs) We talk about electric vehicles all the time on the show these days. seems like we can't avoid it. But uh, these two giants of the industry coming together uh, to put together affordable, quote unquote, affordable electric vehicles. This is from the release. This is what they believe in uh, using Ultium battery technology from General Motors. That's big stuff, isn't it, Matt? It is. I mean, uh, we had a conversation a couple of weeks ago about 
electric vehicles not really going anywhere unless there are affordable ones um, uh, for people to buy. And, and that's what this um, agreement seems to address. They're talking about having a range of uh, affordable models uh, by 2027, which is five years from now, which is a, you know, pretty much what the cycle of to develop a new vehicle uh, costs um, or, or takes to get to, to market. And uh, it's interesting because it's going to be built around the Ultium battery packs that GM is touting as the future of electric vehicles. And so what, what it means is that GM will be in the battery and electric motor business, and it's up to Honda to come up with the rest of the car that's affordable, which they have been doing. I mean, they, they still are in the seg market segments uh, with the, seg uh, with the um, Civic and the Accord in the sedan market uh, in, uh, that GM is no longer in. And they also build some uh, affordable SUVs in the HRV and the um, CRV. So um, uh, I think that that's the thing. They're, they're gonna rely on, on um, Honda for the, for the affordable cars and, and then GM's gonna come to the, uh, to the party with the battery technology. Yeah, I mean, it will really be interesting to see if uh, General Motors allows the engineering of the vehicles themselves to go to Honda. Maybe it makes sense to do because Honda certainly is great at doing that. Uh, it's not that uh, General Motors doesn't have great capabilities in that area too. And certainly uh, General Motors has major manufacturing ab abilities uh, around the globe, not quite so global as it used to be since they've sold off Opel and uh, their European operations, but still a, a major company and operates big time in, in China, among other places. Uh, one of the things that I found fascinating about this is the uh, heavy discussion about battery technologies, new battery technologies. Uh, GM is certainly touting its Ultium batteries, but it's also looking at batteries beyond that, uh, solid-state mm -hmm. batteries, lithium metal batteries, silicon batteries, a lot of battery technology being talked about here. And I think as you talked about uh, a couple weeks ago, uh, if we have this battery breakthrough and suddenly electric vehicles are on par with um, gasoline-powered vehicles in terms of cost, that's a game-changer, a giant game-changer, don't you think? Yeah, it will be. And, and you know, that's, that's the bottom line is how much are these vehicles going to cost. And I think the other way of looking at this thing is that if you have Honda building the actual cars in non-union plants, they're going to be cheaper than GM building the actual cars in their union plants. So I, I, I see this as GM bringing the tech, the electric tech, and um, Honda, Honda bringing along the low-cost manufacturing that has allowed them to stay in some of these segments that GM is no longer in. Well, from a business point of view, that makes all the sense in the world, Matt. From a political point of view, that's a disaster. Uh, it's a dirty, guess, it's yeah. a dirty little secret. Yeah, I, I, you know, I can see the yeah. state of Michigan kind of rolling over right now, just hearing that, uh, just going crazy. You know, our about friend that. John John McElroy wrote a column to that effect about how EV production, non-union EV production is, is, is going to be a big factor. And he's getting pushback from the UAW over it, but it's a, it's a fact, you know, Tesla's resisting the union. Um, you look at a lot of the transplants that are in the U S they're all non-union plants. And, and if affordability is a question uh, of the future of EVs, 
um, there's a, a, a great likelihood that your local EV, your EV is not going to be built by your local UAW worker. It's going to be built by somebody in the South or somebody in Mexico. Yeah, I mean, that throws another wrinkle into this whole political nature of uh, EVs. I mean, certainly there is a push uh, by the current administration on electric vehicles, but they're, they're also heavily in bed with the uh, auto workers union. The, that's the last thing they want to turn their back on, I think, politically. So it'll be fascinating to see how this unfolds. Let's talk a little bit about some of the vehicles uh, that might come out of this, because uh, that's what makes uh, the most sense to, to people out there who are car buyers. What do we think are, will be electrified coming up? Well, GM has announced that they're going to do an Equinox, which is a compact SUV. Uh, I find it interesting that this week that Honda also took the wraps off a new HRV, which is their smallest crossover, and it's um, it's bi- it's bigger uh, than the previous one. And I think that that may be the vehicle that both of them use to um, to electrify to get them into the market because. Both companies are at a disadvantage. The Koreans are there right now with things like the Kia Niro and the um, Hyundai Kona EVs. So they're definitely playing catch up uh, with their competition. And I think Nissan's coming with the Area, which is another one of these smaller electrified vehicles that's going to be, you know, under $40,000. Right. And have some self-driving capability as well. Something I I just wrote about. Certainly General Motors has announced that uh, they and Honda are developing uh, at least a couple more SUVs too. Of course, everybody is, is driving crossovers. Those are the de facto car anyway. So it makes sense that that's what we're going to see from these uh, manufacturers going forward. But uh, to see these two major global manufacturers get together, it's uh, pretty amazing stuff. And uh, so we'll see how that unfolds. Well, here's uh, something else that's unfolding, and it is the cancellation of the Beijing Auto Show. Uh, less than a month, I think, or about a month before it was scheduled to uh, take place. What's your uh, take on that? And what's your take on the fact that the New York Auto Show is going on as planned? Well, I think it's a difference between government policies. I mean, China has sort of this zero COVID approach where they're locking down everything in sight. You know, you saw that Shanghai has been completely shut down. GM is actually housing people at the assembly plants so they can keep them open. Um, it's, it's just a case that they haven't gotten a handle on COVID somehow and they're locking down everybody. And in the U.S., everything is pretty much open. So um, I'm going to go to New York. I'm going to check it out. It's going to be a shorter uh, press day. So they're only going to do one press day. Um, but it'd be, I'm anxious to get together and actually see some of my um, colleagues and see some new cars. And, uh, you know, it's just a difference between how open uh, our society has become and living with COVID and other societies uh, just aren't. You know, they're, they're just locking everything down. Yeah. Well, China, not a, necessarily an open society anyway. Uh, no. So, yeah. Not, yeah. Not so you wonder, I mean, I think there could there could be a political component to what's going on over there as well that we we're, we are just totally unaware of. So um, I, I, I don't get it. Yeah. Well, here's something else that uh, I'm not sure I quite get. And uh, I guess I understand the political reasons for this, but that is the vast raising of the fuel economy standards for passenger cars and trucks out there. And soon, uh, you know, by uh, the current administration, vehicles will need to travel 40 miles per gallon by 2026 on average. 
that's a, a pretty uh, steep hill to climb, isn't it, Matt? It is. I mean, I, it'll be interesting to see how the electric vehicles factor in uh, to lift those. I mean, it's kind of interesting right now that manufacturing, you know, with the high gas prices, they're seeing an uptick in electric vehicles. But if they can get tremendous credits for putting electric vehicles out there, you're going to see an emphasis on a lot of that in order for them to be able to continue to sell the vehicles that really make them money, which are trucks, SUVs. And I think this is going to limit the ability of manufacturers to sell those trucks and SUVs because these requirements are incredibly stiff. I mean, Mm -hmm. raising mileage by 8% for model years 24 and 25, those are just around the corner. They're already selling 2023s. My take is the only way manufacturers can get there is to limit the sales of V8 engine trucks, V8 engine SUVs, even some V6 sixes, uh, turbocharged V6s. I, th- I think the mix changes radically in this kind of case. The bottom line is that cars and trucks are going to get more expensive. With Matt Lorenzo, this is Jack Nierad with you, and thanks so much for being with us right here on America on the Road. Welcome back to America on the Road with Matt DiLorenzo. This is Jack Nierad with you, and it's road test time, an exciting time on America on the Road. And Really interesting vehicles we have to discuss, including the Kia EV6. Their salvo from Kia in the electric vehicle wars. And Matt, you were driving that extensively. Tell us all about it. The EV6 is sort of a compact SUV that competes against things like the new VW ID4 and the base level Mustang Mach-E that you can't buy. Um, they pitch it as sort of a, an SUV, but it comes across really as kind of a muscular hatchback. Uh, it's a very attractive car. It's fun to drive. Um, the, the model I had has the larger uh, battery that gives it a range of about 275 miles. It's plenty quick. It'll go 0 to 60 in, um, in about seven, uh, uh, five seconds in the dual motor all-wheel drive one I had. Uh, they do have a rear drive single motor model that that does that in about 7.2 seconds um it's a lot of fun to drive you know you just kind of flow through traffic and uh um very quiet very very pleasant vehicle to drive i you know one of the things about electric vehicles that maybe um gas car enthusiasts will miss will be an engine note or a a manual transmission but there's other things to uh, amuse yourself with i was playing with the regenerative braking uh there were that's the where the electric motor takes over a lot of braking when you when you lift off the gas. You can adjust that level through two pedal uh, paddles that are on the steering wheel. The right one will take it away. The left one will add uh, regen uh, through four settings. In the top setting, you'll get into what's called I pedal mode, which allows you to drive the vehicle on one pedal. I mean, it's uh, it's kind of a lot of fun to to just zip in and out of traffic, and you you just start lifting off the accelerator and the car will actually bring itself to a halt. Right. It, it really is a revelation to do that. And it is fun. And it's kind of, um, if you're enthusiast oriented, uh, it allows you to just concentrate on one thing that's, uh, you know, steering around corners or whatever, uh, because the vehicle is going to do the braking for you. And of course, there's no shifting to deal with ever. Yeah, it's just a lot, very seamless. I think that's the thing, uh, you know, and in everyday driving, I, I, it's just a lot less, uh, going on in an electric vehicle. And I find that a lot of people for their daily commutes will, will 
like the electric experience. The electric experience is great in so many ways. It's silent. It is smooth. It's also kind of expensive, though, isn't it? And, uh, you know, this (laughs) is is. uh, pitched as an affordable vehicle, but uh, define affordability for us, would you? Well, the one I was driving was the GT line, which is, you know, had all the bells and whistles on it, had the dual motors, the larger battery, and uh, the the sticker out the door on it was like $58,000, which is a lot of money. They do have that single motor with a smaller battery pack for $40,000. Um, you'll only get 230 miles of range. And the other thing that the manufacturers tout is this $7,500 tax credit. So you'll always see, you know, this car only costs you $34,000 or whatever. And you're like, no, it won't. It'll cost you the full $40,000. You'll see that $7,500 next year when you file your taxes. If you're, if you're quote unquote lucky enough to have $7,500 in eligible tax liability, federal tax liability, for example, right? Yeah, yeah. Well, it takes it off your taxes and as a tax credit, and uh, if you if you if you're getting a refund, it'll add to that refund. So you will you will see an actual cash benefit, but it's it's not in your pocket right away. So you have to prepare to either pay that money out of pocket or finance it. And given that interest rates are going up, there's a cost there as well. So a lot of these rebates and incentives. You will get them, but they take some time for you to, to actually pocket them. So be prepared to pay a lot of money uh, up front for any of these kinds of vehicles. Well, and it strikes me the manufacturers are gaming this a little bit. Uh, those that still offer the tax credits, because some can't, General Motors and uh, Tesla cannot. Uh, but those that can kind of figure that in and uh, maybe get a little extra profit out of it uh, based on the fact that the government is subsidizing that purchase. Why don't we talk a little bit more about the driving experience? I mean, this is a vehicle with a really long wheelbase, low center of gravity, fun to drive, but fun to drive, I think, in a different way than the typical enthusiast vehicle. What's your take on that, Matt? Well, it's a cruiser. I mean, it really is a comfortable car. Um, You do feel the weight. It is low. It has a low center of gravity. Um, The steering tends to be a little bit light on electric vehicles, you know, um, the, the feel of the steering is very light. And then also the brakes can be, um, because of the regen braking, if you're not in that one pedal mode, you may find that the, uh, the braking distances are a little bit variable because of the amount of, of regenerative braking that's pulled out of the system to slow you down. You have basically a blended brake system between the traditional hydraulic brakes and, and the um, uh, regen braking of the motor. Yeah. It is a different driving experience. I think in a lot of ways, a great driving experience, but uh, uh, it's not priced for everyone. Now, what's your overall take? You think it's a good value out there? Given what's out in the market right now, yes, it is. Because most of the electric vehicles, if you can get the single motor, if you're looking, if you're on a budget, it's a stretch, but it's affordable. Um, there There are far more electric vehicles, a number of electric vehicles that are available that are well over $50,000, $60,000, $70,000. They're really amazing technology, but they're they're really out of the reach of uh, the average car buyer. You know, the average vehicle price is around $45,000. So uh, I use that as a benchmark for affordability. Anything under it is attainable. Anything above that is going to be a stretch. 
Yeah, absolutely true. And we're not going to see vast numbers of electric vehicles until that price gets even lower. And uh, we'll see what happens. We talked about that earlier in the show. Well, I was driving a vehicle that is about the direct opposite uh, of the EV6. Uh, It is old school in many, many ways. It's even old school for uh, a midsize SUV, and that's the Dodge Durango. This is a vehicle that goes its own way. It has a, a rear drive platform in a segment where most of the other vehicles are front drive, uh, car-based kind of platforms. It has optional V8 power. Uh, go figure. V8 engine <laughs> with rear drive. And there's a lot to like about it because of that. It gives the vehicle, I think, a significant amount of added utility. Uh, not only added performance, which is fun. This is kind of like a tall muscle car but also uh, gives you significant towing ability that most of the mid-sized vehicles don't have. So I like the Dodge Durango a lot from that point of view. It's also a, an SUV you can drive and absolutely keep your man card. Uh, you know, because it is uh, pretty much a muscle car in a lot of ways, it looks like one, even when it's powered by a V6, it looks like one. You don't look like you're just shuttling kids to a school drop-off and and doing those kind of, there's nothing wrong with that. I've certainly done enough of that uh, in my time, but uh, allows you to kind of man up a little bit. It's available in a bunch of different flavors, and I was driving the RT version, which I think is maybe the the highest value version of this vehicle. It has the V8 engine, or a V8 engine, significant horsepower, uh, and at the same time, it's fairly affordable. So, What's your overall take uh, on the Durango, Matt, uh, compared to others in the segment? Two words, old school. <laughs> and I love it for that. You know, yeah. it, it is it is a truck SUV. So if you're used to driving a pickup truck or a, or a full-size SUV, body-on-frame SUV, this thing will be in your wheelhouse. It'll be a little bit smaller than the full-size ones. Um, my only complaint about it is that it is for its size category big on the outside and small on the inside so you're going to be giving up a little bit of comfort and space but it's a lot of fun to drive i i you know there's nothing like having a a v8 underneath the uh, underneath the hood and uh, being able to tow stuff and haul stuff and and uh, get a reasonable amount of people inside of it right i mean it will haul six or seven people uh depending on the configuration you might have two captain's chairs in the middle row or a bench across there in that case it's a seven passenger in the other case it's a six passenger the v8 engine in our test vehicle 5.7 liter hemi 360 horsepower that's serious horsepower and thus serious towing if memory serves i think towing was something is something like uh 7300 pounds or on that order maybe a little more than that Fuel economy, not so swell, <laughs> uh, as you might guess. Uh, but you have to balance that, I think, against the number of people it will haul uh, because there are very few seven-passenger vehicles out there that uh, are getting uh, a lot better fuel economy. Uh, 7,400 pounds is its towing capacity. And this is a likable vehicle from uh, my point of view anyway. I guess I'm a bit old school, and I, I like these kind of old school uh, rear-drive kind of platform. I think it's a good-looking vehicle, and I think there's a lot of reason. Uh, if you're looking at a mid-sized vehicle, this certainly isn't the most modern platform out there or, or necessarily the most efficient, uh, but in a lot of ways, uh, it is the most versatile of all of them out there. I, I think one of the great things about it is that it's not the flavor of the month SUV. So 
you'll be able to find it and you might even be able to negotiate a little bit of a deal on one because it's really off a lot of people's radar screens. Yeah. And I think right now with fuel prices being what they are, I guess they're mitigating a little bit, but they're still uh, off the charts in in most areas of the country. Uh, A vehicle like this is not uh, probably in the highest demand, especially when it's got a V8 engine. So uh, this might be a time to step up to this and uh, get all the the benefits of the uh, Dodge Durango in RT form or in other forms. Uh, you can also get it in SRT 392 form. It costs about 70000 bucks as a base price. That has 475 horsepower. That might be unnecessary, but fun. Uh, but at around $51,000, hard to say that's cheap, but I, th- I think that's a bargain right now. What's your take on that, Matt? And that's about right. And I think the fact that you also have V6 versions that are available last, so you do have a range of vehicles to choose from. Yeah. It's absolutely. a good buy. Absolutely. I mean, you can get one for as low as about $38,000, $39,000. Um, and that is the MSRP. So you might be able to work a deal for an even lesser price. And we encourage you to do that. Well, when we come back, and we promise to come back, uh, we will be speaking with Jolanta Coffey. She's the chief engineer on the Ford Bronco. She has the opportunity to design and uh, engineer one of the uh, coolest vehicles to come down the pike in a while. And we will talk with her about that. So stay with us for that. With Matt Lorenzo. this is Jack Red with you. And thanks so much for being with us right here on America on the Road. Welcome back, everybody, to America on the Road. Jackie Red with you. We're at the uh, Chicago Auto Show. We're actually ensconced in a Ford F-150 hybrid pickup truck. With me is a terrific guest. I'm really excited to talk to her. Yolanta Coffey is uh, Bronco chief engineer. Bronco is, uh, as you undoubtedly know, having listened to America on the Road, uh, you audience members, is North American uh, Sport Utility of the Year. Uh, I'm happy to be on the jury. I'm actually vice president of that organization. So, number one, I want to congratulate you personally. Uh, Very cool. Um, What was it like to win North American Truck of the Year, or uh, Utility of the Year? I think it was great. Um, It spoke a lot about the culture of the Bronco and the Bronco brand and how much it means to resurrect this great vehicle that people have been waiting to come back. And the way we did that, um, staying true to that heritage, but at the same time, really leveraging technology that's modern and really the best of both worlds. So blending those two things, um, it was great. I think it really represented what we delivered. And and especially in the last couple of years, uh, having a vehicle that can take you off-road, there are many people that are going into the wild that have never gone into the wild before. And the vehicle and can help. M- most you. of them come back. And yeah, they will come back. If, if they're taking our vehicle, I'm confident they'll come back. But it lets them do new things, which I think is a really, really cool thing. Yeah, I mean, it's a tall order to revive a legend, right? I mean, yep. ever since Bronco went away, some people have been clamoring for it to come back, and it was a long time coming back. Uh, that puts, I think, a special burden on you as chief engineer, a special burden on the whole team, doesn't it? Yes, it does. Uh, I think it's balancing or understanding what people are looking for when this vehicle comes back. It absolutely has to be true to its heritage or it won't be successful. You, you have to lean into that. And then how do you imagine that in a modern way and really leverage the things that are available now to make it even better? And I, that was a very... Um, tall order for the team but I think they clearly um, did a great job and we really when we did the Bronco 
what we really focused on is that customer experience. What do customers want out of that vehicle? And how can we make that experience better? And that was really our North Star, is staying true to the heritage and then really delivering what customers want. Well, let's dive into that a little bit because uh, you have a lot of technology you can bring to bear that was not brought to bear in the original Bronco, certainly, and, yeah. and, and as it uh, developed. I mean, in a lot of ways, a pretty rudimentary vehicle. Um, just walk our listeners through what you were able yeah, to do. So we really looked at, you know, clearly from a heritage perspective, the appearance was important, but also what it could do off-road. But we realized most of our customers drive it both on-road and off-road. And we really worked on how do we strike that balance. So as you know, we have an independent um, front suspension, which makes it great for on-road driving and handling because our customers are using it that way. But then we added cool new features like our GOAT modes, which let you go you know, in, in Baja or rock crawling or mud and ruts. So that if customers are taking this vehicle out into the wild, they're ready for that adventure. Um, new features like um, trail assist or trail control let you, you know, manage your speed as you're going down these really, um, what may seem like daunting tails, but the vehicle can really help you. And front view cameras show you where you're planting your tires. These are the things that the original Bronco couldn't have, but we, we now have it. And it just opens it up to those enthusiasts. And for enthusiasts, it just, it can help you go further than you might. But for novices, it can also just make it accessible. And I think it's really important to do that um, so that other people can go, new, new customers can go try and go out to the wild. Yeah, let's dive into the goat modes for uh, for a bit. I mean, we hear about it; it's kind of a talking point uh, yeah. out there. But uh, you know, I'd like our listeners to understand it a little better. So, yeah, so explain I, that a little yeah, more. Yeah, so the goat modes um, really set different vehicle configurations to what might be ideal to what you're looking for. So, if you're in rock roll mode, the things that we you know, put in vehicles like ABS or other features for on-road driving and driving at high speeds, they, um, they're less, they're not as important or they need to work differently when you're off-roading at low speeds. And the GOAT modes really help adjust all of those to the terrain that you're going over. So, you know, in Baja, you're, you're going maybe higher speed, desert running. Um, so the vehicle suspension and other um, electronic things, just really adjust to what that terrain might be. So uh, beyond the suspension, what else adjusts? Is, the, is it the way the transmission shifts? Yeah, it's the, the transmission kind of, shifting, mm -hmm. yep. Those exactly. kind of things, yeah. Those kinds of things, yeah. yeah. Okay, that makes sense. And I always wonder how much technology is too much, right? And it's something you probably worry about, you know, every day of the week, right? right? Because more technology is more expense, uh, development yeah. time, all kinds of things. Uh, and, and at the same time, you want to make it as, as, as new as it can be and as good as it can be. Talk so, a bit about that. So for us, really trying to understand that customer experience is what helps us know what technology we should put in. Because putting technology in for technology's sake is not worth it, from, from both from a cost and just an inefficiency perspective. So if you look at the Bronco, it has technology comfort creatures that you may want, you know, for... Uh, on road like a heated steering wheel, right? Or heated seats are things that customers now expect. Yeah. But 
I love those things. Yeah, we all love those <laughs> things, yeah, right? Yeah. Uh, but then we pair that with really cutting-edge technology for off-road, like we talked about goat modes or the trail assist. So we're really tailoring the technology we put, put in for what Bronco customers want. And we also find different usage for the techno- for technology that we're using other places. So cameras are very useful for being on the trail, right? If it's day-to-day stuff, you, you're looking cam- using cameras for backup or maybe when you're parking. But in this vehicle, those can really be helpful um, to know where your tire's planted, to know what's ahead of you when you're looking through at your street. Yeah, a lot of the times you just see the sky, right? Right, (laughs) exactly. So for a novice, that can be really daunting. But if you see what's underneath you, you have a whole different feel. So I I think what we've done is find that balance of what technology will our um, customers prioritize. How do you develop this technology out in the field? I mean, uh, certainly you, uh, this is kind of pictured and, and, you know, maybe a supplier is presenting stuff to you and all of this is, is happening. Then uh, when you get in the field, I bet there's a lot of calibration being done. And, you know, that's where the uh, rubber <laughs> meets the road in, in, a, in a lot of ways. So the, you know, the rubber meets the off-road in this, in this case. Uh, right. Talk a bit about that. So I think, well, most importantly, it all starts with the customer story. So we start talking about what is the customer journey look like and how should this function um, when we imagine and how might the customer use it. And then we think about, well, what systems then need to deliver it, whether it's, you know, a new supplier technology, but really how is that integrated into the vehicle? That's the most challenging and the most important part so that the technology works with other things in the vehicle to really deliver that customer experience. And then we test it and we iterate. So we have prototypes. We then take it into the field. Um, We do a lot of testing um, in Johnson Valley, which is just really um, daunting, grueling off-road. But that's where our customers are going to take it. So we need to make sure that that technology survives that environment. Are there changes you may uh, certainly there's yes. minor changes you made, uh, but anything major c- came out of that that uh, where you said, well, this isn't going to work, or we really need to go well, back and redo I, this I thing. Mean, I think there's probably you know many examples of those. I would call them more on the minor um, end, but yeah, we're constantly you know improving what we've done, and then also thinking about what we do in the future, and that was part of. Um, the new vehicle that we revealed today, the Everglades, just a different usage case and some Im- some improvements for the type of environments our customers. Yeah, so in. you can kind of iterate these things yeah. for different environments going forward because you have the, the basic platform there that yeah. makes sense, right? Yes, and the Bronco is uh, very modular in the way we, that we've designed it, um, including you know exterior components that are easily ta- to be taken off, on and off, which allows the customer to customize the vehicle, but it also allows us the flexibility to come up with new cool things as we evolve. Mm -hmm. Um, When you are developing this this vehicle, most often it's going to be driven on road, right? There's no doubt about that. At the same time, you want to have kind of unparalleled off-road capabilities. And the two don't necessarily mesh, but I think you've been able to mesh them extremely well in the Bronco. And I think that's one of the reasons that it won North American Utility of the Year. Um, Is there a secret sauce to that? I mean, how how were you able to do that? Well, I think, you know, every time we talk about a feature or what we're doing, we look at all those different experiences. And then we talk about what is the right balance. And certainly sometimes there's on-road, off-road trade-offs. 
um, and, and we're very cognizant of those. But making sure that we understand that, it, that those vehicles will be used in various different conditions, and we try to match that. Yeah. I, I think the Bronco has a really interesting um, product mix, you know, uh, kind of um, this vehicle for that, that, you know. Yeah. Walk our, our listeners through that and, and kind of the, the thinking for each of the... Yeah, so, you know, you start off with some of our base models. Um, those are not only, you know, sometimes we think of base models as kind of the starting point. But for some of our customers, it's the starting point for their journey. And we certainly offer a lot of accessories. So that Bronco might be the Bronco you buy today and you continue to add upgrades. So more of a unique way if you think about a base model. Some of the other key models are um, the Outer Banks, which has a little more comfort creatures, who might be a little more um, on the road type of customer. Black Diamond is really geared toward making um, rock crawling and off-road accessible to our customers. And it comes with a really cool washout floor and marine grade vinyl seats. And that vehicle, um, it's the vehicle that I drive. Um, So, you know, if you're going out into the terrain, you can come back home and clean it, wash it out. It has bash plates underneath so you can be comfortable going um, rock crawling into other environments. Our wild track, which is a really one of our popular ones, um, it ha- it has that um, desert running feel, mm-hmm. right? Um, and so s- the customers that want to do m- more of that um, might select the wild track. And then Badlands really is is really our most capable, both in both from off road features, but also some of the um, interior creature comforts. So we have a Bronco for everyone. And then the re- the one other really cool thing is you can get the 35 inch wheels and the Sasquatch package, which has up- upgraded um, suspension systems on any of those models. Yeah. And, and, and people ta- love the Sasquatch package. Ta- and we'll talk more about that. Give us uh, more details about so that I think package. It, um, it gives you higher clearance. It's great for off-roading, but it also just has this awesome stance. So I think customers are choosing it both for, for its performance ability, but it just looks awesome. Yeah, yeah. And you introduced something today, or you were talking about a, yes. a new model today. Talk about that. About yeah, so that. today we introduced um, the Bronco Everglades, which is a vehicle that's really meant to take our customers deeper into the wilderness, and it comes equipped um, with more than we've ever offered on the Bronco. So two of the really cool features on it are a factory-installed worn winch, which has a 100-foot synthetic line. It can pull up 10,000 pounds. But what makes it and sets it apart is that we've integrated into the vehicle. We've designed it to meet our durability standards. And we've integrated it into our safety performance. So the vehicle is tuned to know that the worn winch is on it. The other cool feature is a snorkel. And the snorkel has a cool feature where there's two plates. So if on the traditional snorkel, sometimes you have to move the snorkel forward or rearward depending on what weather conditions you have. Well, we use our Bronco bolts, which have the tools in the vehicle, so you can easily remove them. And you may, you know, you may be pointing it forward in normal conditions where you want to get good fresh air in. But if it's snowing, you can swap it the other way, and so easy swap out. And it and it provides um, better better cleaner air to your vehicle we've also raised the water depth lines so the vehicle can wait up to 36.4 inches of water 
that's higher than our normal Sasquatch package. And it also comes standard with the Sasquatch package. So it's ready to go right out of the factory. Uh, Very cool stuff. Well, Yolanta, thanks so much for being with us. We appreciate it. Thank you very much. And stay with us, everybody. We'll be right back right here on America on the Road. Welcome back to America on the Road with Matt DiLorenzo, Jackie Redback with you. And it is the final segment of the show. Boy, the time goes too fast, but I I love talking with Matt about uh, vehicles. And Matt, I've got a question for you. I really want to have your expertise on this question. This is from Stan. Stan lives in Wisconsin Rapids, Wisconsin. And this is what Stan says. We heard a lot about autonomous cars a couple of years ago. But I'm not hearing much about it anymore. Are we still going to see self-driving cars soon? What's going on? The simple answer is, yeah, no. <laughs> They're working on it, but it, it's such a complicated technology that um, you're going to get a lot of driver assists and a lot of semi-autonomous types of features in cars. But I don't think we're going to see a pure... You know, no steering wheel. The car is going to drive me around out in traffic uh, in the foreseeable future. 2030, maybe at the earliest. I I just wrote about Nissan ProPilot 2.0, which is very similar to uh, GM Super Cruise. And on designated highways, it will drive hands off. You can take your hands off the wheel. the, The vehicle will drive. You have to have set up a destination. You have to be on a designated highway that's been mapped, and I mean seriously mapped, uh, so it knows not just where the road goes, but also the elevation changes and the amount of curvature in the road at each particular point. It's, it's actually matching up the car to the road surface centimeter by centimeter, which is pretty amazing. But when you talk about a complicated situation like an intersection, well, that's just kind of too hard to sort out these days, isn't it? Yeah, and I think people are confusing self-driving with situational awareness. And I think that that's the most important thing that a lot of these systems that are bringing, uh, that are making cars safer and easier to drive is the fact that they're making you aware of any threat, things you're going to back into, help stopping the cars. Absolutely. Well, I couldn't agree more. Great uh, analysis from you, Matt. And thanks so much for being with us. We really do appreciate it. Great being here, Jack. Look forward to the next time. And join us again next time for another edition of America on the Road.